My Journey with Cancer. sufferer. I'm a human being with cancer. It's my belief that God has called me to be frank and open about my cancer and my journey, whether it be long or short, to tell the world what it's like to have cancer and to walk that journey and to share with anyone who will listen what God can do so that you can see what cancer treatment is like. For many of us, it's a mystery and it's a frightening thing, but it isn't. It doesn't have to be. And if you listen to my journey, it might give you hope in yours. Pops, yeah, we'd love to come on the journey with you. Amen. Hi, this is Pops speaking to you from my living room in Doncaster, where I have spent the better part of four months. It has been a very difficult road. I think I had come to a pretty low ebb, what with this cancer and the neuralgia on top. Regular visits to the oncology clinic really didn't help either. Each time my PSA would rise and after a lot of huffing and puffing, nothing seemed to be happening. I was assured the neuralgia and the cancer were not connected in any way. So now I had something else to worry about. What was causing this awful pain in my head? Scans showed no underlying cause or reason for it. And with my speech already compromised, I wondered just how long I was going to do this programme. I'd spent most of the summer and autumn in pain and suffering from a good deal of side effects from the mountain of drugs I was on. I didn't know it, but things were about to get much worse. I woke one lovely, sunny Friday morning with the most all in pain at the back of my left ear. I got out of bed and went to the bathroom as as you do and bleary eyed I looked into the bathroom mirror and got the shock of my life. All the left hand side of my face was drooping. I couldn't close my left eye independently or flare my nostrils. I couldn't frown or move my cheek muscles. I smiled. Nothing happened on the left. My speech was even worse. As I stared into that mirror, I realised that there were only two possibilities. One, I had had a stroke, but thankfully my arms and legs worked perfectly. My mind was frightened and confused but clear. I was able to speak after a fashion. So it dawned on me it was the second possibility, a condition known as Bell's palsy. I decided to wait to see my GP till the Monday. And he also felt that this was Bell's palsy. I did feel why now? Why this? And of course this meant more drugs and an assessment at a speech and swallowing clinic. And yes, there are such things. Here I found out that I had partial paralysis of my tongue, my throat and my voice box. All of this in addition to the things I've already mentioned. The usual round of bloodletting begins. The new hormone treatment can damage my liver, heart or kidney, or indeed all three at once. So a little bit extra goes for checking on that. I know I could be sounding a little cynical right now, 
but I don't mean to be. It's just that all this medical stuff, it does become old hat rather quickly. It's the bit in betweens that are hard to cope with. I haven't been in church since Harvest Festival on the 29th of September. I miss the fellowship so much, but I can't drive myself at present. And bless her, my daughter would take me anywhere I want to go. But the truth is, I'm also not well enough. I'm far too ill. Friends visit when they can, or unfrequently message me and email, all to see how I'm doing, to offer encouragement. Oh, but I miss the worship, and that concentration on the things of God. Perhaps that's why, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we are told to not forsake the gathering or assembling of ourselves together, but to exhort one another, and that means to lift and encourage each other, not to criticise and point the finger, but to lift and encourage one another, and so much more as we see the end times approaching. How wise is our God. That fellowship that he encourages builds bonds that take us through the darkest of times. It brings a corporate strength that is stronger than when we try to stand alone. My health continues a downward spiral as my right knee begins to swell and sometimes gets very, very painful. At my next clinic visit, things got a lot more real. I hobbled in using a walking stick in obvious pain and as my wife said, looking very, very grey. The consultant was on it like a rash. Why, where, when, how long, how bad? He was not happy, and he was less happy to hear that my supposed urgent CT scan was not even scheduled until mid-December. That morning he arranged a scan from head to pelvis. He turned to us then and said, Go now, go, get it done now. He was very, very insistent. As we walked out of his office, his last word to my wife was, If there is anything of concern, I will ring you tonight. We waited at home, desperate for the phone not to ring. At 6.30pm, it did. It was my oncologist with news that neither I nor Chris wanted to hear. He told us they had found a small 2mm diameter tumour at the base of my skull. This tiny little thing, no bigger than a grain of rice, had reduced me to a level of disability which I could not believe. Unable to do simple tasks, to carry an empty frying pan across a kitchen, sometimes to walk across a room myself, to think clearly, to do many of the normal things, make a coffee, a cup of tea, go and find a biscuit barrel. <laughs> My wife has carried me for four long months because of that, and it has inflicted so much pain. I struggle, and I have explained this to friends and to people in the know. I struggle to explain the intensity and enormity of the pain that neuralgia can heap upon you. But of course, I don't have neuralgia. I don't have Bell's palsy, and I don't have a condition that is causing this paralysis. All of this is being caused by one tiny, tiny little tumour tucked out of the way. Yesterday, I realised why Jesus so often refers to sin 
like yeast hidden in a lump of dough. You can't see it. It is indeed tiny, but it will, given time, affect the whole lump. Sin in our lives, especially habitual and hidden sins, may be tiny, may be insignificant, but it will, given time, affect everything, and I mean everything we try to do for God. And of course, eventually, it will consume us entirely. Little by little, it changes us. It brings hardness, unforgiveness, a critical spirit, gossiping. Oh, so many things creep into our lives through so tiny a thing. And even now, I feel the first flush of fear, followed by that same old argument we talked about in my first programme. You know, the why me, the it's not fair argument. How can a loving God do this to me? As if I'm something special. Just look what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. At this time, another very emotionally painful event arose in my life. And now I was battling the fear of cancer and a great feeling of loss and rejection. I was feeling very isolated and vulnerable. And then I remembered the story of Hagar, the servant of Abraham and his wife Sarah. God had made Abraham a promise to give him a child, but neither he nor his wife were content to wait for God's timing. They took it upon themselves to get Sarah's servant pregnant. In social terms, this was quite normal, but in spiritual terms, this was rebellion and unbelief. The result? Bitterness, jealousy and injustice. Hagar was driven out into the desert, where we can only assume that both Abraham and Sarah are happy for mother and baby to perish. As Hagar lay down next to a well, afraid, alone and near death, someone spoke. An angel who brought with him a mixed blessing. She would not at this time die, but she would return to her master's household and become an ever-growing reminder of their sin. She would live and not die. Her child would live and grow into a mighty nation. But even this was not a blessing. And the place where she met this angel, this well, where she got to name it, and she called it, You Are the God Who Really Sees. I've lived my life As others have done I've had some friends And I've had loved ones As the way visit to church one Sunday it may even have been the Harvest Festival uh, my mind is a bit confused with drugs at present Andrew, one of our church deacons came and had a word with me 
He doesn't often throw words around. He's not one of those people who has a word every week. But he came and said, I have a word from the Lord for you. That word had so much laid up within it, he could not possibly know what he was saying to me. It wasn't long. It was what he said. Andrew could never have known how far back in my life those few words reached. Not just to my last church, not just to the last painful encounter, but right back through every church and organisation I have tried to serve God in, where the same old story seems to have played out time and time again. But he ended his word with these final words from God. You are not forgotten. A few days go by, and then, out of the blue, this beautiful text message arrives on my phone. Hi John, a couple of days ago I felt prompted to pray for you. Not once, but to continually pray. I'm standing with you, and I'm going to continue until we see something happen. We've prayed in group for healing, and I promise to pray big, bold, and often. You're in his grip, Tim. Tim is a young group leader in our church and he's also captain of our church football team. He's a great preacher and a real dynamic character. We're not natural friends because I'm exactly the opposite of what he is. But in Christ, we find so much in common. That short message gave me hope. Someone had seen. Someone was watching over me. I was not forgotten.